probably one of the most distinctive architectural features of a church is the steeple. If you stop somebody on the street that's never been in a church before, but you point up at the steeple and say, well, what, what kind of building is that? I bet you most people will say, well, that's a church. Most churches, at least most traditional churches like ours, have the very prominent high spire reaching up to the heavens. We don't know really uh, when it started. There's some architectural evidence that the churches started to be built with steeples or towers or spires as early as the 6th century. Um, it, oftentimes they were the tallest building in a, in a city or, or a town. Uh, you could see it for miles away. If, if you wanted to find a church, you just had to listen to the bells, the carillons that often were located up in the church spire and just look up and see where that spire was. It would point you directly to the church. Now, obviously, we have a, a pretty great one. This is a, a painting that hangs in my office. It's one of the original drawings, conceptions of this church uh, drawn before these buildings were actually built. It was part of the planning uh, that our church would have this very tall spire. I don't know if you've paid attention to just how tall it is. From, from top to bottom is about the height of a football field, if you put a football field uh, on end. Uh, and at the top of our steeple is a Celtic cross, a gold Celtic cross. That cross, when you look up to it, looks small. It's actually 12 feet tall, twice as tall as I am, and about five feet wide. Now, I've heard a rumor. I don't know if it's true. I haven't been able to verify it, but I heard there was a time, and maybe today, we have the tallest steeple in Orlando. Now, obviously, in many towns, that was the case. There was a church that had the tallest steeple, and that was the highest point of the town. But through the years and through the modern era, other buildings have gotten taller. We've built these skyscrapers that dwarf many of our churches and steeples. Some of you will remember when our steeple was a prominent part of the Orlando downtown skyline. Uh, I remember for years after I left uh, back as the youth director, when I would come back to town driving on I-4 or 408, I would look for our steeple just to feel like I was home again. But it's gotten harder to find with all of these tall buildings that surround us now. Well, what's the point of building a steeple? How did, why did churches decide they needed this very tall tower? Well, most people think, nobody knows for sure, but most people think that they were meant to be symbolic of reaching up to heaven. And that every church was going to reach a little bit higher than the one that was next to them. Reaching up, that our worship was reaching up to God above. Now think about that. That idea that heaven is above, that God is above, is based on a very antiquated idea that the earth is flat. If we have a flat earth, then, then heaven has to be above. I mean, after all, that's where the stars are, that's where the rain comes from, that's where lightning bolts fall from, thunder appears in the sky, the heavens are above. And then, of course, we all know what's below, and nobody wants to go there. But we know that the earth isn't flat, it's round. And so the notion that heaven is above is, is really sort of an old idea. Um, I've always been fascinated by a different idea. The, the Celtic Christians, we have a Celtic cross on our steeple. The, the Celtic Christians, rather than thinking of heaven as being up, 
understood that heaven was around us. In fact, Celtic Christians often talked about places in nature that they called thin spaces, where they believed the veil between heaven and earth was very thin. Well, while this talk about steeples uh, reaching up into the sky and this talk about heaven being close or, or above, well, today is Ascension Sunday. Today's the day that we remember and celebrate Jesus after his resurrection ascending up to heaven. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 through 53. While they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were terrified and afraid. They thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you startled? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It's really me. Touch me and see, for a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see I have. As he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Because they were wondering and questioning in the midst of their happiness, he said to them, Do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of baked fish, taking it, he ate it in front of them. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law from Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said to them, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And a change of heart and life for the forgiveness of sins must be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Look, I'm sending you to what my father promised. But you are to stay in the city until you have been furnished with heavenly power. He led them out as far as Bethany, where he lifted his hands and blessed them. And he blessed them. He left them and was taken up to heaven. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem overwhelmed with joy. And they were continuously in the temple praising God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So you may be asking yourself, what's the big deal with the ascension? It's not something we talk about an awful lot. You may be thinking, uh, isn't, isn't that fairly insignificant? I mean, after all, the, the birth, the, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, even, even Pentecost, which is coming next week, those seem like a big deal. The ascension of Jesus seems like we barely talk about it. Why, why is it even worth celebrating? Well, we say in both the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene's Creed that we believe in Jesus Christ, who was crucified, dead, and buried the third day he rose from the dead but then the next part he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty uh, the theologian Luke Timothy Johnson says for creedal Christians for Christians who recite creeds believe in creeds Jesus's story does not end with his death it continues into the present and into the future more powerfully than before. Now, let me just remind you where we've been over the last 40 days. 
Remember Easter Sunday, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, but almost every Sunday since we've told a story of, of Jesus appearing, often unexpectedly, to his disciples. Almost immediately uh, after his resurrection on Easter Sunday, he appeared to the disciples behind closed doors where the doubting Thomas got to see him for the first time in his resurrected state. You remember the story of, of the, the disciples who were walking to the village of Emmaus where a stranger appears to them and walks with them and explains to them that the Savior had to die and be raised on the third day. Of course, that stranger was Jesus. You may remember we talked about Jesus appearing to the disciples at the seashore where he made breakfast for him for them. See, this just kept happening randomly for 40 days. After Jesus was resurrected, he would just he would just show up and he would confirm, it's really me. I'm really raised from the dead, and he would begin to prepare them for what was next. Well, on this particular occasion, it would be the last time Jesus would show up unexpectedly. After they would have a short meeting, Jesus would walk with the disciples from Jerusalem, where they were staying, out to a little village called Bethany. Likely, they would pass through the Garden of Gethsemane, remember where Jesus prayed the night he was arrested. And they would head on up to Bethany, and there they watched as Jesus ascended before them, ascending into heaven. I'm standing here next to one of our stained glass windows that represents that story. You see Jesus' nail-pierced feet and the, the disciples looking upward as Jesus ascended up into heaven. Mark 16, 19 says, After the Lord Jesus spoke to them, he was lifted up into heaven and sat down at the right side of God. Acts 1, 9 says he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Then Hebrews 12, 3 says, Jesus endured the cross, ignoring the shame for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him and sat down at the right side of God's throne. Now, in this story, you may have noticed that there's sort of an interesting interaction going on before Jesus' ascension. When, when Jesus appears to the disciples, at first they're afraid. He's done this multiple times, but immediately they assume he's a ghost. It's not the first time. Remember when he was walking on water during the storm, they assumed he was a ghost. How does somebody who's human do this? But Jesus proved to them that he was a human. In verses 38 and 39, he says, Why are you startled? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It's really me. Touch me and see. For a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see that I have. And then, just to prove to them that that he was really there, that he was really flesh and bone. He said, do you have any fish? And they gave him a piece of, of cooked fish and he ate it, just showing to them that he was the same Jesus that they had known, though now resurrected. He was still flesh and bone, but now resurrected flesh and bone. His, his hands and feet, he showed them, look, it's me. The, the nails pierced his hands and feet. There were still signs of it. Resurrected now, flesh, of course. 
but still the same Jesus that they had known. He was still a human just as they were. When we think about Jesus' birth and his life, we often talk about how he was God incarnate. Theologically, we use the word incarnation, which means God took on flesh. It means that we believe Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. The, the point of Jesus' ascension was that even after his resurrection, he was still God incarnate. He was still both human and divine. He was resurrected. He had a resurrected body, of course, but it was a resurrected human body. This is important because we believe that our bodies will be resurrected, that he will resurrect us as well. And then once he ascended into heaven, the resurrected incarnate Jesus took his seat at the right hand of God. Seems to me this represents a fundamental change in what we understand heaven to be. Now think about this for a moment. For all of eternity, heaven has been the dwelling place of God. And we say that God is a trinity. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now that makes a lot more sense to us when we think of Jesus as the Son at his birth and his life and then, and then raising up to heaven to be seated at God's right hand. But we believe that the Son is eternal, that before Jesus took on flesh, he was already the second person of the Trinity. And so for all of eternity prior to Jesus' birth, the three persons of the Trinity existed in their home in heaven. But then when Jesus took on flesh, well, that's a, a radical shift. When, when God came to earth in the second person of the Trinity to live among us, that's, that's a significant shift in both the identity of the Trinity and in heaven. That's the first fundamental shift. But, but here, after his death and resurrection, when a human body was raised to heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father, well, it seems to me that's a, another significant fundamental shift in how we understand God and what we understand heaven to be. At his birth, we say in Philippians 2, 6 through 7, though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and becoming like human beings. If we're going to use this idea that heaven is above and earth is below, well, the incarnation begins with God descending to us. But in the ascension, Jesus, once the work was done, he had died on the cross, he had conquered death, now he was ascending as resurrected human flesh, a, a, a person to be seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in heaven. Romans 8, 3-4 says, It is Christ Jesus who died, even more who was raised, who was also at God's right side. It is Christ Jesus who also pleads our case for us. Now, I know this is going to seem 
overly anthropological, overly simplistic. But I think the image that scripture is trying to give us is that in, in heaven, where God the Father Almighty, as we say in the creed, sits on the throne, his eternal throne, seated beside him now is a human being, Jesus, who, who advocates for us, who who speaks on our behalf, who, who helps to give perspective to what the human experience is like. I, I imagine it, I know this is simplified, but I imagine it being a little bit like uh, Jesus saying, uh, look, Dad, it's not easy being human. Uh, you, you wouldn't understand, but they struggle a lot. Every day they face temptations. Every day they face distractions. They get hurt, they get sick, they get hungry, they get tired. They don't think about us all the time. Sometimes they just want to figure out how they're going to make a living that day or, or how they're going to make up with their wife after they've had an argument or how they're going to raise their kids or, or where they're going to get food to eat. It's not easy being human. I, I get the sense that that's the whole point of this, that, that God in Christ took on human flesh to come and rescue us, but also to engage humanity so that the, the Godhead understands what we're going through. I, I get the sense that, that Jesus sitting at the right hand of God says, don't forget that, that's why you sent me. That's why you sent me. It's not easy being human. Let me tell you what it's like. One of the things I, I appreciate so much about working with Pastor Emily is, is that frequently uh, we just kind of process things. I'll tell her something that I'm struggling with, I'm wrestling with, that, I, that, I'm, that I'm trying to figure out. And Emily and her wisdom and her level-headedness can speak back to me and say, well, you know, maybe you want to think about it this way, or, or here's how I see it, or here's what I'm thinking. It, it, it provides a different perspective, right? That, that from where Emily's seated as, as a person with a different experience, as a young woman pastor, uh, with different ministry experiences, that she sees things differently. Jesus, having taken on our flesh, saw, sees our human experience differently. Or some of you are, are probably parents. And, and oftentimes, if, if you are like uh, Kelly and I, if, if we've... As we've tried to be good parents to our kids as they were growing up, sometimes, you know, we get a little frustrated and we have to figure out what we're going to do. And, and sometimes one or the other has to be the, the level-headed one. When one's really mad, sometimes the other one has to be the one to say, okay, don't forget what it was like being a kid. Don't forget what it was like being a teenager. Don't, don't forget the mistakes that you made, right? Now, I know that that's not exactly what it's like in heaven and, and, and the inner workings of the Trinity, but I think that's the image we have, that we have an advocate, someone who has taken on our human experience as an advocate for us in heaven with God. Now, obviously, Jesus didn't experience every single little thing that you and I have or will experience. I mean, he lived in a very different world 
2,000 years ago. As I already said, most people thought the world was flat then. What, what amazing technological advances we've had over these 2,000 years, and, and they seem to be advancing day by day. Jesus didn't experience any of that in his humanity. To the best of our knowledge, he never married or, or parented. To the best of our knowledge, he, he never uh, came down with a major illness. I assume in his humanity he got sick, but wasn't hospitalized. Or, you know, he died at age 33. He, he never experienced what it meant to, to grow old. He died an unnatural death. He didn't experience the process of dying a natural death. We don't know if he ever got fired from a job. We don't have any record of there being pandemics during his lifetime. He never lost money in the stock market. There's lots of things we could think of that, well, Jesus never went through what I went through. Well, those are just details. The truth is he experienced everything that we experience. He experienced our temptations. It says in scripture, he was tempted in every way as we are, but was without sin. He experienced emotion. We see times in scripture both where he's joyful and angry. We know that he experienced the, the loving support of friends and family, but we also know that sometimes he experienced betrayal and abandonment, especially when he needed people the most. We know that he got hungry. We know that he got tired. We, we know there were times he got spiritually empty because he went up on the mountain to pray, to refill, to reconnect with God. No matter what we go through, we can know for sure that Jesus has experienced the humanity of it. That he has experienced what it means to have daily needs. That when we feel pain, we know he's felt pain. That because of Jesus, God knows. And God understands. And God cares. That because of Jesus, God is fully aware. Now, as I said at the beginning of my message, to, to say that, that Jesus ascended up to heaven is based on this, this very old idea of a flat earth and, and heaven being above us. We use that kind of language really all the time. But what if the Celts are right, the Celtic Christians? What if they had an insight that heaven isn't up, that, that Jesus didn't float upward, that really he just stepped from one reality into another, our reality into God's reality, which isn't far away? What if, what if saying Jesus ascended is just simply talking about a transition where he completed his work here and he stepped into the God, into Father's presence where he sat at his right hand. Now, now follow me on this. If the Celtic Christians are right, and I think they are, that heaven is close at hand. In fact, there's places where the, the separation between heaven and earth are very thin. And if we believe that Jesus Christ was God incarnate, is God incarnate, risen from the dead, and if we believe Jesus incarnate lives and reigns with God in heaven, doesn't that mean that 
that he's not very far away. That if heaven surrounds us, that if heaven is close, then the ascended one, Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of God and makes uh, pleas for us, who advocates for us, he's never far away. I think that's an important message right now during this difficult time of, of, of pandemic when so many of us are still fearful even as the, the world is reopening a lot of us are, are worried even as we're social distancing God isn't distancing from you the one who understands your fears and your concerns and your needs as well or better than you understand them to yourself he's close The ascension doesn't mean that Jesus went away. In fact, maybe it means that he's closer than ever. Let's pray. And so God, I pray that wherever my friends are this morning, that the present risen Jesus would be with them, that you would live in our hearts and our lives, that you would speak to the Father on our behalf of the things that scare us, the things that worry us, the things that feel so unknown and uncertain. Give us your peace, your calm. Help us to be aware of your presence and your advocacy for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus.